0: You are listening to a hive talk live stinger buzz buzz welcome in hornets fans to the saturday sit down here on hive talk live and at the hive.com it's hornets talk for the hardcore fan and i'm doug branson later on in this show i have a great a lengthy conversation with justin thomas he covers the charlotte hornets for espn seven thirty a.m some really interesting thoughts from a guy who's on the inside. I mean, he's at all of the post games. He's in the locker room. He has some very interesting thoughts about what he's seen so far early in the season. And the returns are good early in the season. And we're in, if you want to go by Clifford's timeline of the season, because all NBA coaches break up the season into segments. And, you know, they judge performances, both team and individual, more on these packages of games, you know, whether it be a large homestand like the Hornets are currently in, a seven-game homestand. And so we're in the second package of games, and it started after the San Antonio loss. So since then, the Hornets have gone four and two, playing really well, despite still not really rebounding, I think, to the level that Clifford wants this team uh, to rebound. But just to recap, the Hornets, of course, uh, fell to the Knicks, and, and that is the sort of poster child for a bad rebounding game. The Hornets getting rebounded in that game, 45-42 uh, to 42 total. But the big deal, I think, is allowing 10 offensive rebounds, and that's a very good rebounding team, big team there with Carmelo Anthony, Porzingis, and Robin Lopez. And then, of course, you have Serafin coming off the bench. He's also a good rebounder. But both Carmelo and Porzingis getting 11 rebounds, it was just it was just tough. And then, of course, Kristaps Porzingis just has a thing about teal and purple, scoring 29 points, uh, really hurting the team. But Kimball Walker, another – this is what's frustrating, I think, if you're a Hornets fan or if you're a Kimball Walker fan, is that a lot of these big-time Kimball Walker offensive performances – are getting wasted this season. And I really don't look at this performance by Kimball Walker, 12 of 21. That's a lot of shots, but these were open shots, and he was moving the ball. He scored 31 points on a night where you had Nicholas Batum coming off the Eastern Conference Player of the Week award, struggling offensively with only four points. But again, you see the starters struggle to play defense. They struggled to get any offensive rhythm going other than Kimball Walker. And and the Hornets fall in a close one to the Knicks. And again, if you believe Clifford, they rebound better that game, they win. Moving on, Brooklyn Nets game. The Hornets with a great rebound win. 116, 111. Great offensive performance. Of course, the defense isn't going to be as good for this team, but this is just a new this is a new ball game from the Hornets. This is a new Hornets team. As our friends at At The Hive pointed out, a lot of new faces on this team. This team has been reconstructed really at the bottom level, at the bench level. This team has been reconstructed. And then, of course, the addition of Nick Batum has been huge. But Batum going 7 of 12 in this game, 3 of 6 from Beyond the Arc, 24 points. The Hornets overall, 44% from 3, 11 of 25. Uh, great performances off the bench from uh, Frank Kaminsky, 4 of 6, and then Jeremy Lynn, 5 of 13, moved the ball really well, really got into the teeth of the Brooklyn Nets defense and did a lot of disruption down offensively. Uh, and, and then you were just able to contain a really good games from Brooke Lopez and Thaddeus Young. You didn't really allow, I think, Jared Jack to get into uh, just – just enough of, of a better rhythm, I think. If Jared Jack plays better at the beginning of that game, the Hornets probably in, in more trouble than they were. And then Joe Johnson had a bounce back game. So, you know, this team, and we said it before the Brooklyn Nets team has a lot of talent, and they weren't necessarily playing well, but they've got a lot of talent. And the fact that this looked like a game that the Nets should have won. I mean, like when you look at the box score, you go, this team should have come away with the victory. And they didn't. And I think that's a testament to what the Hornets were able to do offensively. And they were able to, you know, stay in this game, score 30 points in the fourth quarter, 64 points overall in the second half, just did a really great job of holding holding a lead. And then of course, uh, last night, Philadelphia 76ers fall to the Hornets, and the Hornets win that one 113, 88. Uh, this was a game, look, they fell asleep in the third quarter. I don't think anyone can question that, but this is a team that you're supposed to beat, and, and they did. And Frank Kaminsky, again, playing well, 4-4 four of four off the bench, 9 points. Jeremy Lamb, 4-10 of 10 for 13 points. And, of course, Jeremy Lin gets the start, played well with the starters. Kimball Walker and Jeremy Lin doing a lot of nice things together. Lin didn't really have it going offensively, but... You know, I thought he, he he did a great job when he could of of containing uh, penetration from uh, Stauskas, keeping him on the outside. I mean, Stauskas was the big deal here, I think, for the Sixers. Three of eight from beyond the arc, the perimeter defense. The, Hollis Thompson got some good looks as well, uh, playing against the bench. So that was a concern, and I, it it helped the 76ers get back into the game in the third quarter. But the Hornets stayed with it, got some energy in the fourth quarter, played really well in that fourth quarter scoring 28 points and holding the 76ers to 18 points in that fourth quarter. And then, of course, rebounding, the stat you always want to look to. And in a game like this, it's interesting because the 76ers miss a lot of shots normally. They shot 40% from the field, which probably is better than their average, and and they get 42 rebounds to the Hornets' 41. But see, I think it's, it's a much better uh, rebounding game than they've had previously. Although, again, you allow nine offensive boards, that can't happen. It, when this team plays, you know, competitive team. So there's your team recap uh, for the week. Wanted to do a, uh, the Hornets are above 500 for the first time since the first game of last season that the Hornets won in dramatic fashion at Time Warner Cable Arena. The Hornets are now 5-1 and one at home. Can you believe that? The Hornets have not been above 500 since the first game of last season I think it's impressive that they've been able to again respond to a loss which they didn't do early last season and they've been able to close teams out and that's not I'm not understating that like the ability to hit big shots in the closing moments they struggled to do it in the first 3 games of the season that's why they started 0 and 3 and, and now they're getting into a rhythm, they're learning about each other, a lot of new faces. It's a good time to be a Hornets fan. It's a fun time to be a Hornets fan, and it's a fun time to get out there and see them because the Hornets are 5-1 at home. Playing good in your home arena, you get the excitement of the fans, and you got to prove it to your home fans before you can prove it to anyone else and they're doing a good job of playing well at Time Warner Cable Arena and it's important that they play well in this seven game home stretch because the Eastern Conference is much improved at least in the early going a lot of teams at or above 500 the Hornets would be 6th in the Western Conference with the 7 and 6 record 6th normally it's the other way around normally we're talking about a team deep in the West would be very good in the East, but the Hornets right now 11th in the East at 7-6 and six, would be 6th in the West. That's interesting. But this is a, you know, if you're a Hornets fan, you have to put away all of your assumptions about what's what's happened in the past. So like Kimball Walker can't shoot the three. got to put that away. Kimball Walker doing a much better job of shooting three-pointers. He worked on it in the offseason. You have to put those assumptions away. The Hornets can't shoot. Got to put that assumption away. The Hornets are a stifling defensive team. Got to put that assumption away because the Hornets are not. They're not going to play defense to the level that I think fans have been used to seeing. If they continue to score consistently, then it's not as big of an issue. But this is a new normal. There's more offensive leadership, more offensive energy from the shooting guard position than the point guard position. That's not something that Hornets fans are used to. I mean, you look at the past shooting guards, we really haven't had a star shooting guard since Steven Jackson in the Bobcats era. It's a weird season to be a Hornets fan. They're weird on and off the court. I think it's weird just off the court that the Hornets are getting so much attention. They're not necessarily weird. But it's just, a, it, there's a different feel right now. You have the, the article coming out with Kimball Walker, interviewed by Zach Lowe, getting to know him as a person, MKG with WBTV and the, the premi story. This team is opening itself up and you have national and local media starting to sniff around this team. And I think, I, I really believe that national media and local media can start to sense when a team is about to hit. And you, you sort of start to get your feelers out there and, and do these little feature stories to have that backbone of coverage that you wouldn't normally have. And I think there's a sense right now that there's something going on in Charlotte. We're going to go find out what's going on. And then if it continues, we'll really start to report on this team. We'll really start to pay attention to this team. But just a lot of, there's a lot of interesting things about this team. I mean, and, and there's just a little, bas- there's uh, there's plenty of basketball interesting things that we've talked about. the This reliance on the handoff play the ability of Nick Batum to to come off a screen and immediately pull up and shoot, his ability to feed the post, Jeremy Lin and Kimball Walker playing together and the way that they use their dual playmaking abilities to really throw defenses off. like There's all kinds of little basketball nuggets. But then off the court, you have Jeremy Lin's hair, you have Marvin Williams becoming sort of a, a KG light, mini KG, just energetic on the court. Offensive rebounds, running up and down as fast as he can. You've got Frank Kaminsky, the rookie who plays erratically, but is one of the weirdest guys in the, in a fun way. He does this Twitter interview for the Hornets, and and just has the the funniest responses. Someone asked him about, you know, how he it's sort of a basketball nerd type question, like you know, how do you stay successful, et cetera, et cetera, on down the line, and he. He tweets back, the the links of an isosceles triangle are brown. Like, what? Like, it's weird, but in a fun way. There are a lot of fun Hornets. I saw a, a lady at the game with a, a Jeremy Lin wig, the spiked hair wig. Like, that's cool. It's cool to have a team that not only plays well on the court, but has personalities that you can get behind, that you can cheer for. And I think the part of that part of that is just as important as it has to complement getting the wins on the court. This is not a boring team on the court. This is not a an uninteresting team off the court, and for good reasons, not not bad reasons. Not guys being distracted, doing odd things. We're sort of past the PJ Harrison doing silly things era of of his career and he settled down it's a good time to be a hornets fan and i have a great interview a little insider interview with justin thomas of espn seven let's kick it let's kick to it really good stuff mm-hmm. So, Justin, how long have you been covering the Hornets, and, and how did you get into this business uh, altogether and then eventually land at ESPN 730?
1: It's it's a tough so to break into, and I've always you know wanted to cover the NBA and, and cover sports in general. So, in high school, I actually ran a sports blog, and I thought I was actually doing something in life. And I felt like the content was all right, but I wasn't really a, that strong of a writer, then, so it was a bunch there. So, you know, I went off to school and I started to become better. And the summer of 2012, I believe that was the second year the station was in Charlotte. Um, I sent the email saying, hey, guys, can I, you know, come in and intern? If not intern, just shadow and things along that nature. And when I got there, everybody well, not everybody, it's not a, a large station, but the focus was Panthers. And rightfully so, I mean, the Bobcats were a joke. So it's not like you're really going to pump a lot of effort into the NBA and the Bobcats when they are any good. So from there, you know, um, during the summer, I would I cared about the NBA. I love the NBA, for those who don't know. And I would just watch all the summer league games. And, you know, at the end of the show, they would say, all right, Justin, um, you know, uh, could you give us a, a Bobcats update? And i would come on for like three four minutes and talk about the Bobcats and how they're doing in the summer league.
0: Everybody else would take a nap, and then you would come on and yeah, talk about Yeah, you know, no, nobody cared. That was, that was literally like the time where you're driving
1: in your car, and you're like, oh, um, uh, the show's over now. I guess we could turn this off. But I would come in, close the curtain, and talk a little Bobcat. And then we took another step forward. Uh, I would go to some games. Bobby would take me to some games. And then you know, from there, I started building a better rapport. They saw that I really wanted to do it, and I started writing for them. And, Things of that nature. And three years later, I'm here and I couldn't be happier.
0: Where did you go to school?
1: UNC Pembroke, home of the Braves. We're DT to be exact, but we don't lack in spirit, just in size.
0: Sure. Um, So you get on with ESPN 730 as an intern in 2012. You're talking Bobcats. What was, well, first of all, what is your history? With the Hornets in general, so I mean, you're—I assume you went to UNC Pembroke, so you're from around the area. Maybe did you grow up around here? Yes,
1: um, I have been in Charlotte basically my entire life. Outside of the five-year stint, I lived in Georgia, but 95% of my life I have been in Charlotte, and I just—I just love the NBA, and, and that's always—I just wanted to figure out how I could kind of break in, and that's where it happened. And from Pembroke, a lot of my classes. The back half of when I was about to graduate, all of my classes were online, and the good thing is, a lot of the Bobcats games, even actually dating back to the Bobcats, seeing that they didn't have the greatest when it came to attendance, a lot of their games fell on Wednesday through Saturday, so I would go to I would go to my classes and things along that nature, and then the games like if they got like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or like a Wednesday, Friday type deal, I would leave school on Wednesday, and I would come down and camp out for the rest of that weekend, and then once the games was over, I'd head back to school. And I did that for for about three years. So I would usually get my college fund in right before Halloween, because right at Halloween is when the NBA is about to start. It. From there, I'd just go back and forth.
0: Now that, then, my friends, stuff. is dedication. Folks can question your takes on Twitter or on the radio, but they certainly can't question your dedication and your knowledge of the team so do you have from the pre-Bobcats Hornets era do you have a team that you associate with more so than than any other like I I for example associate myself with the Mashburn Wesley like early 2000s team teams right before that they headed to New Orleans do you have a team
1: I wouldn't say I have a team because I was I was never a Hornets fan. Uh, sad to say, I was I was I went through like stages as a kid. So and when, like I was a big Allen Iverson fan, a like, huge Seventy Sixers fan. So whenever I was going to Hornets games, it was never, never for the Hornets. And then you know I became a strong Kobe fan, and then so when I would go there, it was for Kobe, and it was it was for for Iverson. So I I. Actually, I enjoy watching them play, um, relate. I never cared too much about them to their exact to relate to one because I was always a fan of the other team, sadly.
0: Interesting. No, I mean, I think that gives you a a neat perspective that you were a fan of the NBA game in general. And so you have a little bit of an unbiased outsider perspective of the team. So I think, no, I think that's very good. Uh, So. Let's get into some of this talk here about this season. I don't think anyone could have guessed that they would be above 500, 7-6 now, near the end of November after that MKG injury. What has surprised you most about this Hornets start to the season?
1: They, I would say for the past two years, uh, the Hornets haven't had any favors when it's come to schedule it. Whether it's back to back, whether it's starting out tough, the, the NBA hasn't done them any favors. When MKG went down, I, I looked the schedule. I'm like, oh, they don't. Okay, I was like, if they could survive, because the first six games, actually the start, their first eleven games um, was the toughest in the league. So they had the toughest schedule to start the season. But without MKG, I, I was like, I don't, I don't really know how this is really, how's it gonna work. Uh, like, for the first six games, the first six games were were just awful. And I was like, gosh, man, they played the Heat. They played um, Atlanta twice. It was it's just the Bulls. It wasn't any good for them. It wasn't any good San Antonio. Mm-hmm. So I figured for that first six games, if they can go two and four, if they can just survive the first six and go two and four, you know, they'd be all right. Granted, they started 0-3. Um, I wasn't shocked. I figured out what happened because originally I thought they would go zero six to start the season. I didn't. I just didn't really know how they would navigate it. Thankfully, um, they've actually fought and got some wins, and they've made it out. And what I would say is, ah, the the defense has has taken a hit, but the offense has been there. And you know, since Clifford got there, you know, they've been built on. On defense, that's been their backbone. Like you know, when you were playing the Hornets, you know they are not an offensive juggernaut. You know they weren't going to score 100 points. But what they are going to do, you know, they're going to defend. They're going to be scrappy. Um, they're going to be slow, and and hopefully they could hang around and win some games. But this year, you know, they've lost to some better teams. You know, Miami's a better team. I don't think you can expect them to beat them. They've hung close in both of the games against Atlanta. You could actually argue they've had, they had—they had a chance to win late in both of those games.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Atlanta, better team, they lost that game. But, you know, just just from being able to score, I, I figured it would take a little bit of time, um, with the additions of Batoom and Lamb and Lynn and and things along those lines. You know, and but the good thing is they've come together quick, fast, and in a hurry. Um a few games ago, I believe it was the game Batum had thirty, and people were asking um, did you really expect us to come, come this fast into the season? And he said, you know, I, I look at these team, look at this team and my teammates as brothers, mm. and that's strong. You, usually, you hear brothers from a, a team that's been together two, three seasons. He's saying that, you know, six, seven games into the season, with, with the losses. Even when they was losing those games, it was you could go in the locker room and it was, it was never, you know. A, it wasn't a, a somber mood. I would say, you know, everybody was like, you know, we lost this game. Um, we have to get better But you know, I would say is anything that has impressed me is definitely the ability to score the ball right now The Hornets are ninth in the NBA scoring if I if somebody would have told me that to start the season I probably would have laughed and bet You know X amount of dollars that I had in my pocket at the time because I probably wouldn't have believed that
0: well yeah, I mean, there's a new normal going on with this year's Hornets, and you mentioned the lapse in in defense. Clifford doesn't seem to be as concerned with that. I mean, after the Brooklyn game, post game, he talked about how there were some individual things that they could work on, but that overall he was happy with the team defense and that that he thought it could it could get better. I guess the biggest concern at this point would be rebounding, and you saw that against New York. It was part of the reason they lost that game because to be in that game, that second game with New York, with Batum, who has been the anchor of this team, struggling to score like he did. You know, I guess Clifford thought if the rebounding was better, they win that game. So defensively, I don't know if that's if that's the biggest concern. What say you?
1: I would say I'm not too concerned with the defense, only because you knew the defense was was going to take a was, was going to go down a little bit. You know, when you lose, you know your best defender and arguably, you know, one of the top five, you know, defenders in the game. You know, your defense was going to take a hit. Now, what what I go back and forth with is the rebounder. Um, actually, that Brooklyn game, he stated that this team. Um, wasn't necessarily built for rebounding. Mm-hmm. Um, I've played basketball um, all of my life, and each stage um, coaches would always talk about rebounding. And I went back and forth, but I don't understand if... Yeah, I don't. I don't believe that rebounding is a talent. I believe it's more of an effort rather a talent. I don't think it takes uh, the best player on the floor to. You know find a man, put a body on him and, and you know get a rebound and And you said that, and you know I, I thought about that a lot and and after the game Al Jefferson was like, you know we, this can actually be fixed. Um, this can be fixed in a, in a, in a day, fixing a game. and I said, well that that statement alone to me screamed effort more than talent, and that's going to come. Uh, Clifford actually uh, talked about they could have two more wins. The Hornets right now are 7-6. and six. They could be 9-4 and four off of rebounding alone. He, he talked about the New York game that you touched on and the Bulls game. Both games were good games. Of course, they lost both games, but if you rebound in those two games, that's the difference between being 3rd in the Eastern Conference and 10th. Rebounding alone. So, we're going to see. Last night, they, they did I believe they won the battle on the board. They either lost by a few, but I mean, Philadelphia. I don't like to put too much stock in a team that's winless. But a win is a win, mm-hmm. so we're gonna see. Um, I've always believed that you know, good teams, good teams do what they need to do consistently. Like when Clifford arrived in Charlotte, he said they were gonna defend, not turn the ball over, and rebound. If they do those three things; they'll have a chance to win every game they are play. Thus far, you know the defense is taking a skid, but they're out there fighting. And I don't even look too much in that because now they can score the ball.
0: Yeah, this so is you, the this is little, the little, unquestionably the best offense that Steve Steve Clifford oh, yeah. has had,
1: M- most best talented team he's had since being in Charlotte.
0: You know, so and, and, and Clifford is Clifford has coached on all, all different kinds of teams, and I think that. You know he's definitely going to harp on defense, and he's definitely going to harp on rebounding. But he's played on teams that struggled defense, or he's coached on teams, I should say, that struggled defensively and played better offense. There are a variety of ways to win in the NBA, and they don't all revolve around playing lockdown defense.
1: Agree, I agree. Isard, like if you he 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 won't come out and say it. But whenever he's talking um, about a team, he likes to reference Golden State. So he might not say it, but I do believe he enjoys watching Golden State. And I think everybody who likes basketball and or the NBA enjoys watching Golden State play. And, you know, Golden State is number one in scoring. I don't know if they're number one right now in defense, but if they're not number one, they're top five. So Clifford is under the belief that, and rightfully so, that granted, you know, the state has a lot more talent that style plays a little bit different but you know that's the conversation for another day but he believes that you can also score and do the things necessary on the defensive end but sometimes you give you know you you have to lose a little when you gain something you might lose a little something or something and um you know they lost mkg they've added talent and now they can score the basketball and i, I just think it's more it's a more exciting brand of basketball you know like do you want to show up on a Tuesday night against the Orlando Magic for a team that's going to fight and claw and barely score a 95? Or do you want to go on a Wednesday night when they play the Milwaukee Bucks and they score 110 points? I think everybody's going to opt for 110 points.
0: We keep bringing up MKG, his absence. We're now seeing him more on the bench, looking very professorial. He's got his uh, thick black rim glasses on, looking like a professor. But his absence, someone mentioned to me the other day or or asked me like what MKG's role would be on this team if he were healthy and able to get out there and almost questioning whether he ha- would have a role on this team the way they're playing now. And I think that's ridiculous. I think he has a perfect role on this team as somebody who can not only uh, guard the best perimeter player on the uh, – starting rotation which is when pj has been able to be out there that's been his role but he can also leak into the second unit and anchor that defense so that you can put more scoring on the floor do you think that that mkg's well let's say hypothetically mkg is able to come back late into this season or into a hypothetical playoff run he's got a pretty clear role on this team don't you think
1: um, with, with Michael Kidd-Gilchrist on this roster, this is a really good team. Um, a really good team. I would say playoffs w- without a doubt with him with him on the team right now. Playoffs without a doubt because what he's so important. He's not a he's not a guy that you're gonna you know you're gonna watch you know sports and, or NBA tonight and you know the horns game come across the ticker. You're not gonna see Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. 25 points, 14 rebounds. You're not going to see that, and that doesn't mean you know just because he's not a stat stuffer that he's not important to the team. This this young guy alone means almost everything to this team. Without him last year, they went five and 20. Without him in his two seasons, they're 61 of 53. You know, you know, you don't always get to say the Hornets are above 500. And without him, they're 5 and 35. It, that, that just tells you everything he means. Because the good thing, if he was on the floor, is that he would guard. Because him and Batum, what, one, Clifford loves length. And that's a big thing. He, he, he's not a big fan of smaller players. So he likes length. You would have, Batum is, I believe, six eight. You would have Batum at the two, a six eight, two guard, and you would have MKG at the three, a six seven, three. And when you have MKG, he can guard your best defender. You're not only long, but you address scoring and length. The problem with Gerald Henderson and Lance Stevenson is is not that they're bad basketball players. Gerald Henderson was just out there and he wasn't doing anything. He didn't make any mistakes, he didn't really turn the ball over. He just didn't do much. It was almost like you were playing four on five. Then you have Lance Stevenson, and Lance took took a, a significant um, hit in Charlotte. I don't put all of that on himself. He's just a guy who needs the basketball, so that didn't work. But you have Batum, a guy who can who can operate without the basketball, and he can run the offense. So you add that scoring with a defensive stopper. That's a that's a very good team, and your re- the rebounding that is that is taking a hit. Kid Gilchrist alone is gonna equip for eight to ten every night. That's the difference from being a you know thirteenth or twenty fifth. That that's a significant jump in defense right there. Because if you look at the defensive numbers, it's it's not like a team that is out rebounding everybody by like 10 or more. It's it's like four or five, things along that nature. So that one person alone could change your rebounding and your defensive record. Then we're talking about not only a Charlotte a top ten scoring team they're back to a top-10 defensive team, and that's that's drastic. Not having him just makes fans just kind of just let their minds wander of, of what if, what this could be if we had him on the floor.
0: No, the rebounding is a great point. It's often something that we forget about with MKG because we talk about the defense, we talk about his ability to score in transition in offense, and offense, and rebounding can get lost in the fold, but you have to remember that MKG – is one of the guys that got the green light last season from Clifford to offensive rebound. And and he's a great defensive rebounder because he has long arms, he has a a nose for the ball, and and he's very active whenever he's out on the court and he's, he's willing to get up and jump and throw his body around. So, no, I think you're right. I think it would help not only just having his defensive rebounding, but having his energy on the boards, I think, Would serve to wake everyone up. And PJ has certainly done a good job as a fill in defender, again, when he's been able to be out on the court. But he doesn't give you that same kind of energy and that same kind of sort of quarterback mentality of, you know, gelling everyone together, getting everyone on the same page. And certainly MKG would offer some different things in transition offense as well. So, again, I'm in complete agreement with you here. Justin that MKG would have had a perfect role on this team and you cite the stats the you know on-off stats in terms of wins and losses for the Hornets and the the only reason in my mind that they are 7 and 6 they have a winning record without MKG this season is because of well, two things the outstanding performances of the bench offense from guys That's like phenomenal. Jeremy Lin, Jeremy Lamb, the, the super Jeremy brothers, and Spencer Hall's his ability to rebound and playmake, and then, of course, Nick Batum, who and we can talk about him for a few minutes and his addition to the Hornets because he's been a guy... One of the things that I've loved about him is that he is ready and willing to, to step up and knock down big shots when the Hornets are up against the ropes. And I, I think you saw it against Brooklyn, and he hit a few big shots in the Seventy Sixers game, and again, I know we can't take a lot away from it. But in the third quarter, the Seventy Sixers were starting to punch back a little bit and got mm-hmm. it around a ten-point deficit. And that's when a team can get really dangerous when they they haven't had a victory. They get a little run going late in the game, and you have to you have to have somebody that's willing to step on the gas. And both Kemba and Batum, I thought, did a great job doing that. But but his ability to just be aggressive know the moment, understand the moment, and step up and hit a big shot has been invaluable to this team, Justin.
1: Nicholas Batum, even when he was in Portland, you knew he was was a good basketball player, but he was the third option. You had LaMarcus Aldridge, you had Damian Lillard, then you had Batum. The difference now is the offense is no longer ran throughout Jefferson. And the offense is run through Batum. And what makes Batum such, you know, a, a good basketball player is he knows the game. I've, being around Clifford, it's, he, he doesn't really praise a lot of guys, but when he praises some guys, it's some of the top guys in the league, whether it's LeBron, whether it's James Harden, whether it's Curry, he praises those guys. But the next guy that he, that just listened to him talk about somebody who just knows the game of basketball, is Batum. The other day at practice, somebody asked him, hey, kid, you know, what, what are you getting out of Batum? What what is it that he that he does so well?" And he said, "You, when you watch him, the, the game makes sense." And and that's just that's a, a beautiful compliment. The, the game makes sense. You can't even say, I watch a lot of guys and think, gosh, that made sense. Like I knew what he was doing. Um, I, I can't even give you the exact quote, but he was describing um, a pick and roll with Cody, I believe. And instead of, you know, just rolling right around the pick, he went on to pick heads for a little bit so Cody could actually roll just to give him enough time to flip the passing air layup. And and listening listening to Clifford describe it, you could just hear that. Like, I I just love coaching this guy. When he gets out there, it's rare he's making bad decisions. The past few games, we've had some careless passes, but I mean, you're gonna have those. It's friends.
0: it's like Justin. It, it seems like, and I, this is a weird thing to say, but it seems like sometimes the game makes a little too much sense to him. Like he he because you're right, he'll make these incredible plays. And see space where where few guys would see space, or see opportunities where few guys would see opportunities. And then in other moments, he's he makes a pass that that is an absolute head scratcher. You can see what he wanted to happen, but you can but you can also see that the three or four other dangers that came along with that decision. And, and so it, it's an interesting thing. And I think you know for Batum, he has taken one step closer to becoming a star in this league and and that's a big part of that has been Clifford basically handing him the keys to the car and now the next step the next evolution which may happen you know maybe late in this season or or possibly next season is learning to not be such a reckless driver. <laughs> he's like a teenager right now. He's just got the car. He's he's driving all over the place and now it's like all right, pump the brakes late in the game, you know, let's uh, you know, maybe take the speed down a little bit on the interstate. That kind of thing, but it's been so fun to watch, and it's been such a benefit to the Hornets because, again, when you weigh things out, Justin, and you go all the things that Batum has given the Hornets with his aggression and with his ability to see the floor versus the few silly things that have happened, definitely the things that he's giving the Hornets right now outweighing. He,
1: Batum is. I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. <sighs>
0: Tell me, just how would I, how would I say this? I,
1: as I watch more and more of the, of the Hornets, and I, I watch a lot of Kimball Walker being the point guard. There, there are times when the ball shouldn't even be in Kimball's hands, and that's your point guard. Mm-hmm. You could, you could actually watch the game sometimes and say, "Jeez, Batum, who's not even the point guard." is making better decisions than Kimber. There are times you can watch the game and, and Kimber gets fed up a bit and, and he does something and you're like, why did you drive that? There are trees in the lane. Or, or, or why would you try to get ahead of and, and, and take this shot knowing you have nobody to rebound? When Batum is out there, it's fluent. His Clifford loves to talk about his IQ, his ability to pass, and his ability to shoot. There are times he makes passes that some guys like. What a few games ago, he had a no-look that Cody Zeller, and I don't even think Cody Zeller saw it coming. And Cody Zeller was right at the rim, and 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 you just watch that and say, just his passing ability. That because if if you notice, granted, you 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 watch a lot of Bobcats and Hornets, when the when the Hornets lost. Josh McRoberts, everybody wanted to talk about, like last year, a lot of people wanted to to talk about two things, three things. The injury bug, I think, is the only valid excuse why they were bad last year. They were talking about Lance Stevenson not being any good. They were talking about not having Josh McRoberts because he was so fluent in the offense that he could pass. You don't hear anybody talking about that anymore because Batum is, is such a good passer. Like, you get out there, they're like now they're assisting, I feel like, close to 50%, if not over 50% of the shots they're taking, and it's because of one glue guy. The glue guy that can score. Nicholas Batum. Teams across the league are now watching that, man, when this, when this guy is a yeah. unrestricted free agent next summer, with the salary cap continuing to rise, he's going to get paid.
0: Well, he's going to get paid. I know Hornets fans hope that the Hornets are able to pay him, and they'll have Batum's bird right, So they'll have a little bit of, a, of an advantage over other teams in terms of paying Nick Batum. And I think they're going to have a slight advantage in the fact that Clifford has fully trusted Nick Batum with handling the, the scoring load in this offense. And I think it seems like just in postgame interviews and and his you know level of play on the court that he is enjoying that new role. And so, you know, when he's weighing options, he's going to be weighing money. He's going to be weighing, you know, championship contention. But a lot of guys, like Nick Batuman, we saw this with LaMarcus Aldridge, are valuing the fit that they will have in a particular, on a particular team and in a particular scheme. And so if this continues, and there's another question mark around whether, you know, the Hornets can keep Coach Clifford, With the the Woj bomb dropped about you know Clifford and the Rockets may have interest in Clifford et cetera et cetera, but if you can keep those two together, then I think the Hornets have a deadly combo in the future. And you know what's interesting to me too, Justin. I think and this I'll I'll swing this back around to Batum. I promise. But when the Hornets' offense is at its best this season. They almost, and I, this is going to blow your mind, and and I want you to try to rein me back if, if you need to, but it, it seems like the Hornets are running like a pro-style NFL offense because there's a lot of handoffs. There's there's a lot of movement towards the middle, a lot of running through the lane. Like Lamb and Kimba are, are almost your running backs, and Batum is kind of like Cam Newton. He's kind of like a running quarterback because he, he's been able, better than anyone, to take the handoff and and get it to the lane but he can also throw it over the top to big targets big tight ends like Al Jefferson and he's been able to to feed it to other guys as well so and if you want to take this analogy further which i don't know if anyone really does maybe i'm the only one but he also makes a couple of silly throws here and there a couple of silly late game like Cam Newton made that you made know. that almost almost interception that almost threw away the the game so, I mean, you know, and yeah. Batum kind of does some of the same thing, so I'm just saying it's an interesting offense because they're they're shooting a lot of threes, but they're also doing some things to open up guys and open up lanes in the middle because there's so much more space this season. It almost reminds me of an n f l offense
1: <laughs> you you know that is at first, I was thinking like where what is,
0: is this guy talking
1: about? <laughs> Where is he going and and then, as I'm listening to the position breakdown.
0: Like you know what? I sold you. I sold you. I like that.
1: That is that's good. Um, I've never heard that. I didn't even think of that. That is that is very impressive. Hats off. That was that was very good. And I I actually agree. I actually agree. Um, and I I like the fact that they're they're going four out one in because that it it opens up scoring lanes. It's, it's sometimes like the Panthers. You know, you could actually watch the Panthers, and and sometimes it's a lot of Cam Newton. And it could be that could be Batoom's thirty three points or it could it could just be distributed. Batum might have fifteen. Al might have sixteen. Can could have four and you could equate that to tossing at the other receiver. It, and and that was actually that was really good. Analogy. And and I, I would actually agree. Um they just it, everything looks pretty good right now. Now granted, of course, you know, we know they don't rebound, but what I what I like Actually, uh, about what Batum does and, and these other things is, it opens up playing four and um, playing four out one in. Is that with them taking all of these three pointers? Granted, they make them or they don't. You have to defend it. Like you, it makes mm. the def it keeps the defense it. Because if you just see them, because it's it's more about just shooting them. And there are a lot of times that Marvin Williams catches it and he shoots it, and sometimes he makes it, and sometimes you don't. But once you see him consistently come off that pick, you know he's going to shoot it. So what does that mean? Oh, do we have to guard him? And then so that guy who's setting that pick, when you see Marvin catch the ball or Batum catch the ball, whoever it is, they assume he's going to shoot it. And what does that do? The guy who set that pick, you can slip right to the lane. And that's where you get your passes from and get those easy layups. And that is something I liked because it, that didn't always happen. They didn't, a, a big thing that the broadcast rarely had is they didn't have a lot of floor spaces. Like you could almost like I, I would say this all the time is, you know, nobody nobody scared you on the floor. Big Al was good, and this is what you would do. You would you would just sink back. You would just sit in the paint. Like who was who's was gonna beat you from deep? Kimball Walker, not that good of a shooter. He's, he's not even a good shooter. Joe Henderson, Joe Henderson can't shoot. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, you're gonna let all three of those guys take those shots if they're open, and you would sink back. And let Al work, and you would double-team Al, and you would make him move the ball. And if Kimber Walker or MKG hits open jump bar three, you live with that because you know they aren't going to hit those night in and night out. But the difference this year is you can't do that. Al gets a lot of one-on-one matchups now because you know why? They're spacing. Because if he swings across court, you have to step out on Batum. You have to step out on Lamb. Or if it's Lynn, because if those guys set their feet, there's a good chance they're going to knock down an open shot. And I think that's the big difference. And when you have a guy that can pass the ball, i.e. Battoon, Lamb, Lynn, Hosh, you have guys that can get it around. And when you have good ball movement, it gets a better shot, and better shots leads a high percentage shot.
0: No, those are all great points, Justin. And also I'd add that there has been a consistency to the way this offense plays. And, and that's important because I, I think it takes time for – opposing team defenses to make adjustments on individual players, but also on teams as well. So it's important that you're consistent both in in how you execute your offense but also in making the shots. And, I mean, we look over these past three games. So against Philadelphia, 12 of 25 from beyond the arc. Against Brooklyn, they were 11 of 25 beyond the arc. That's good for 44%. And then against the Knicks – Five of twenty, not as good. But then you look at Lamb and Lynn missed uh, all four of their opportunities, and so you think, look, you know, if I'm scouting this team, I go, look, I know Lamb and I know Lynn can hit that three, so that's more of a that's more of an aberration. But they're still taking twenty opportunities per game. So if I and and a lot of these coaches, I think, scout two and three games at a time when they're scouting an opponent because you know you, you have to look at sort of recent trends so it's important for teams to be consistent in that two or three game span so that the opposing team is forced to adjust they're forced to play play up on the perimeter and if you if you're not being consistent if one night you're taking 12 threes and the next night you're taking 25 that doesn't do your team as much good because Teams don't. Teams are not going to adjust as, as hard, and that space is not going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, again, props to Clifford, props to Rich Show for bringing in the right personnel. And you know, there there have been, and we said it a lot on this show, and I'm sure you've discussed this as well on ESPN 7:30. That you know, a lot of these guys that, that Cho brought in were, were guys that needed to step up to further their career. They needed to have good seasons, and and also Clifford has said to in order for this team to make the playoffs, there are going to have to be one, two, three guys that play either you know all star level basketball if you're Nick Batum, or guys off the bench playing better than they've ever played in, in their careers, and that's that's a high task. I mean that's that's not it's a lofty goal, but so far at least early in the season. We're starting to see that, which is obviously, you know, a good thing for the Hornets.
1: It is. Clifford has, has, has talked about when you were talking about the uh, three point attempts, is that you you have to be consistent in your game. He you always talks about the good teams they play their game, and you should be able to play your game no matter who you're playing. It shouldn't matter if you're playing Golden State, and it shouldn't matter if you're playing Memphis. You should play your game with no matter who's on the court. And that goes a long way because you don't see t- go to State switching up the way they play. And that's what I like about Charlotte, whether they make them or they don't, they're consistent in their efforts. You know, they're going to pull it whether they're hot or whether they're cold They're going to shoot it. And, um, another thing I asked him the other day, and I was like, well, are you Clifford, Is there any pressure playing a, a team that's winless? and?" He didn't really say pressure, but he gave me a a, a a good explanation. And granted, nobody wants to be that team who loses to the winless team. And he talked about that his team has to get to a place night in, night out that's going to get them, that's going to make them successful. And he talked about three things: intensity level, readiness, and concentration. And he felt that they've done a good job of that. And the only way they're going to be good is if night in and night out, they bring the right intensity level. No matter if it's back-to-back, no matter if it's three and four nights, no matter if it's seven and 11 nights, readiness, know your assignments, know your roles, know what you're going to do, and concentration, making the right play, not having mental laps. And if they, if they do those three things, they're going to have a chance. They're seven and six. They're a half game out of eight. And they're in striking distance. That's all that matters. As long as you're in a striking distance, you, you know, you can you can hang your hat on that because you know you gave your chance to be successful. So they do those three things. They, you know, they continue to play the way they're playing, bring their intensity level, readiness, and concentration. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but they'll definitely have an opportunity to because everybody everybody is bunched up right now in the East. It's, it's a game, half a game. Everybody is bunched up in the Hornets get a very favorable stretch coming up. Well, actually, they, they started the stretch already. They're going to get they get the next five or six is at home, I believe. And over that stretch, they should go five and two. The only tough games over that stretch is Golden State and Cleveland. They took care of business. They beat Brooklyn. They beat Philadelphia. They get Sacramento. That should be a win. They get Washington. Washington, that that can go either way, but they get that at home. They should be able to get that. They get Cleveland. I'm going to just they can they have a chance to, to beat Cleveland. Cleveland hasn't played great. They have a they'll have a chance. Milwaukee that should be a win. You're always going to have a chance. I just don't see them beating Golden State, but you never know.
0: I would um, so I would honest that- I was thinking about this this morning. I would rather Golden State stay perfect until. That December second game against the Hornets because if if Golden State comes in you know whatever and one and the Hornets manage somehow to decode the matrix and, and beat Golden State then it's like all right they, they got a great no it's not like all right I mean it's like great they get they beat a, an amazing team but if they topple the perfect team then I think it takes your team. Into a national discussion immediately. It does. If you beat a four, if you beat a, what a seventeen and one team or whatever they'll end up being if they lose one game going into that game, it's like all right they 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 snuck one against a good team while they were sleeping. But if you beat the if you beat a perfect team, I, I think it it elevates your team a little bit in the national discussion.
1: I agree a hundred percent, and that's going to be a, that's going to be a guaranteed sellout. There's going to cool. be there's going to be nineteen thousand. 000- Inside the cable boxes, they like to refer to it as, and it's going to be phenomenal. Not only is it because of Golden State's phenomenal, but you know the hometown kid, Steph Curry with the shot, will be back home.
0: And they're the and they're honoring town. honoring his father that night. Dilker.
1: Yes, like the, it almost seems as if the stars are aligning right now because they 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 fit like they both want to get up and down. They want to run and they want to shoot. Now the only what I see in that matchup is I don't see a lot of Big Al. Um, I don't see that's the game they'll they'll need Cody back. Cody will definitely be back. That, that's when they'll need the shooters on on all cylinders, especially Spencer Hot. Because when you play a, a team that either runs or have a four that can pull Big Al away from the basket, mm-hmm. there's no need for him on the floor. Like when they play the Heat, if Bosch is filling it. Big Al is not going to play a lot of minutes because it, it, it hurts you. You can't play him out there. You can't play him. And Draymond will, will pull will pull Big Al away. So that's really what hurt him. So that night, they would definitely need Spencer Haas, Cody Zeller, and Frank Kaminsky on their A-game. They're going to need that. And, you know, that would be very interesting because it you care. It always feels good to hear your name being called. You know, the, the players are going to downgrade it. Say they win. They're going to say, oh, uh, we haven't won anything. It's a great win to beat the best team in the league, and, and this, that, and the third. But, you know, everybody on that team knows that Charlotte gets overlooked. I have a a, a national guy that, that I talk to every couple of weeks, and I just say, hey, I'm just saying, just, just kind of keep a lookout, and he blows it off every single time. And this would be a nice coming out party, not only for Charlotte, but for Clifford, but for Batum, and to let the team know, like if they continue to play well, that that be a good game because they'll have two, they'll have two games to prove themselves. You get LeBron, and you get Curry. Granted, they could lose both of them, and I think they will. But if they can play well enough to have a chance down the stretch and possibly win a game, and still either one of the two that goes well, because. Confidence goes a long way, and when you're confident, you play better. I've always said, if you look good, you feel good, you play good. And if you feel good, you're going to play good, and nothing makes you feel better than having confidence you can go out and perform against any team on any given
0: night. And certainly, both of these teams were different. Last season, Golden State had not won the championship yet, and Charlotte had their own concerns, but... Charlotte played Golden State very closely at Time Warner Cable Arena. And in mm-hmm. that game, I believe, yeah, Steph was 9 of 20, 1 of 10 from beyond the arc. So there, there's something mm-hmm. that happened there. And you have to remember, uh, uh, Kimball Walker is, is a very good pick-and-roll defender, and it, it seems like he's gotten better. You you read the Zach Lowe interview with Kimball Walker, and he's talked about stepping up his defensive intensity and ability to get over picks. And that's going to be very important against golden state. So I think, mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a game to watch. you you certainly aren't favoring the Hornets by any stretch of the imagination, but they can be competitive. Uh, I, I want to end, you mentioned Frank Kaminsky there. He mentioned he might, uh, might be a guy you look at to get more minutes against golden state because you know, when the, <laughs> I'll quote Byron Scott, uh, here when, when golden state plays small, they're, uh, Insert word there. Um, they, 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 oh,
1: my gosh. They're, they're a whole
0: nother level of hurt. And so Frank Kaminsky could see some more minutes there. He's seen more minutes with the injury to Cody Zeller the past couple of games. He's played well offensively, but defensively it seems like Clifford has some concerns, and that may be what keeps him out of a consistent rotation going into the future. And, and what surprised me was that Clifford mentioned his perimeter defense because we've heard, ever since he got drafted, we've heard, well, he has strength issues. So, you know, maybe you think strength issues, getting to the basket would be a concern, interior defense, post-defense would be a concern, but it seems like Clifford concerned about his perimeter defense. Have you seen anything that, that makes you go, oh, yeah, I see what he's saying there?
1: Yeah, he has. Now, I can't specifically cite plays, but there are times um, where you could see him out there and he kind of gets lost and somebody might catch a back door or, or somebody might have a, you know, an open jumper, but you know, that comes, you know, the, the is for Clifford, that's the backbone of the team. And um, in when I say this, this was training camp. I think the second week of training camp, um, you know, he was receiving high praise of how he was playing and how he was grabbing things. And, Kaminski said the best is, you know, like, I'm a rookie. Um, there, there are some things I have to learn, um, and and that that bodes well because he understands that. Like the other day in the press conference uh, after the the Brooklyn win, as Clifford was saying that, you know, he cares. You yeah. know, and like if he misses an assignment, you can see like he might he gets, have a... Yeah, he gets
0: frustrated. Or, yeah,
1: or, yeah, you can you can tell that he's engaged. But there are just times where he gets lost or he might be confused. And that's going to come. I mean, c- jumping from college to the NBA, it's, it's not, you know, it's no small step. You know, it's a, it's a quantitative leap. You know, it's, it, you don't just get there. And and that's fine. And, and everybody knows that he's going to come. And the good thing is, when we went back going to training camp, is Kaminsky understands it. He knows it's going to take time, but he's there. Because Clifford always phrases that He has a high basketball IQ. And actually he has been playing fairly well. The past few games he's combined for nineteen points, six rebounds. I believe he's shooting fifty percent. Yeah, three against Boston. I mean gets Brooklyn, I said Boston against Brooklyn at eleven points. So, you know, he has been playing well and he's gonna have to play well against Golden State because Al is going to be a non factor because you know, big big boys don't don't fare well against Golden State. They make you they make you play. Yeah. Your your guys and, and I I like Kaminsky. It's going to take some time, but you see, he has his skill set. It's just more of adding that strength, um, grabbing more familiarity on the defense and on the offensive end, and those things are coming.
0: Yeah, I know. I think you're right. It's it's been a a half step here, a half step there. You know, a, a turn of of the body that that doesn't allow him to recover as quickly. I saw that against Bargnani, but those are all little individual things that that can be um that can be taught and, and and you know basketball especially at the pro level is so difficult because it's so quick it's so instinctual and, and yet you have to make you have to think about things and make decisions and put your body in certain you know angles to to be able to recover and and I think you're right and and Clifford seems confident that those kind of things will come but until that time when the coach is confident that those things are there, you know, I, I feel like he's, he's thinking he's forced to play guys like, you know, Zeller and, and Hawes who have that veteran experience. And I think it's good for Frank overall that you have a coach in Clifford that's committed to those kind of things. That's not going to leave you out there so that you can get, you know, get some run or get some experience and, you know, not, teach you the things and not, you know, show you that, Hey, you have to shore these things up before you're ready to play a- an actual consistent role on this team. I think it's good for Frank's overall development.
1: Yeah. Cause you're not, everybody's not, everybody's not Aaron Rodgers. Everybody can't just sit on the bench and come in and, and, and play right away. You, mm-hmm. you gotta throw guys into the fire. Um, and what, I, what I've always said is I think makes the, the NBA so difficult is you can't you can't um, you can't hide anybody on the floor in the NBA. It's not like football when it's eleven guys. Like if a guy can't pass, protect, you can kind of hide him and things like that. I mean, excuse, me, I say the backwards. If a guy can't pass coverage, you might be able to hide that linebacker. Or if, if his safety can't can't cover, you you might be you can hide him in schemes. In the NBA, it's five on five. If a guy can't defend, they are going to attack that matchup. If a guy can't dribble, they are going to pick him up and pressure him. So you know those things are going to come in, and Clifford likes him a lot, and the injuries have helped him because injuries have put him on the floor, because coming into this season he was going to play in spots, like he wasn't. You might not see him every game. You might see him for 15 minutes here, or you might see him for 20 minutes. So sometimes he won't play. A prime example: he didn't play against Portland, but three of the last four games he's played in, he's played 19 minutes, 23 minutes, 24, and 20 minutes. So he's gonna play in spots, whether it's injury or foul trouble. Then when he steps in, he just has to be ready to play. And, and I think just the more he gets the exposure, the more comfortable he's gonna get, the better he's gonna get. Because when you're comfortable, you play better. So you know, whenever he can get on the floor, it's a learning experience. And um, and he's getting there. You you can watch and and see certain games, and you can see, oh man, he he does have a nice skill set. Like the other day, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting as Clifford said, that he has um, has a really good low post game. But the difference is they haven't been able to put in a package that would allow him to really work out the low post and be extremely effective right now. And that was pretty interesting going forward. I thought he, was, I, he was pretty effective out of the post in, in college, and he took a lot of jump shots as a stretch four. But, um, you know, he, I thought that was a really good sign. So that that tells me that Clifford stands to stay in the practice that we don't get to see. And that's good. And then there's times you see him look like a rookie when, you know, he forgets to to um, switch from that pick-and-roll or he forgets that there's a guy back, um, cutting back door. But, well, you know, again, you know the uh, rookie-growing pains and those happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, on defense, there is a thin line between knowing where you're supposed to be and, again, getting your body in a position where you can recover to a spot or, or taking a half-step mm-hmm. forward or a half-step back. Uh, Jeremy Lin in an interview on YouTube, said that basketball, unbeknownst to a lot of fans, is a game of inches. It's an inch forward here, an inch back here. And so, again, I I think Frank knows where he's supposed to be, and it's just getting that to a point where it's instinctual, where you know it and then you put your body in a position to be there on defense and perimeter defense because we've seen him. He's He's a great athlete for his size, so he's been able to do some nice things in the post, getting blocks, uh, stripping guys. So it's just that perimeter defense and, and being able to recover on pick and rolls and different things. And, and and I think you're right. I think eventually we're going to start to see uh, uh, little bits here and there unfold from Frank's game, and it's going to surprise some people later on this season. Uh, and and I, I certainly can't wait. Justin, this has been a great conversation. Uh, we've uh, dipped into a, a lot of NFL analogies, so I think it's great for a Saturday sit-down because we're competing with college football, so it's always nice to drop in some nuggets for people who are listening uh, while they watch their college football game of choice. But uh, I thank you for being on. It was uh, it was great to talk to you, my friend.
1: Hey, I'm, I'm glad uh, for somebody who wanted to take the time out of day and uh, talk a little basketball. Um, so this is uh, – I love doing podcasts. I like uh, reaching out to a larger audience than – Building the brand, and I'm glad that you could allow me to do that. It was it was a pleasure. We can do it anytime you want, man.
0: Awesome! And where can folks follow you on Twitter?
1: On Twitter, you can follow me at jtyree704, j t y r e e seven zero four.
0: And what's the ESPN website for folks that want to go listen or or read what you have there?
1: You can go to espn 730com and under blogs, click on the ESPN seven thirty blog and. Everything that you would like to read at all is points. I'm
0: your guy. Awesome. Justin, great to talk to you. Justin knows his basketball, folks. That was a, a great interview. I love talking to guys who are on the ground level, those insider guys that are, you know, not only listening to what Clifford and, and these guys in the locker room have to say, but also know, trying to find the narratives, trying to push the narratives, trying to you know, figure out again, I just think the local media and national media are starting to sniff around this team and find out what these stories are in preparation for a possible because again, at the beginning of the season, when MKG went down, everyone, it was doom and gloom. It was this team is it cannot is not equipped with the players, the talent to overcome that injury. And it's not that they overlooked Jeremy Lynn. It's not that they overlooked Jeremy Lamb or Spencer Hawes. It's that all three of those guys on the bench were question marks. I mean, you had past, whether it be past issues with coaches or schemes or past performances, and you have you had to give credence to those, and the Hornets knew that, and, and the guys that had the question marks knew that. And now it's all about, again, proving those doubts wrong. And so far, the Hornets have been able to do that. And, and if they can continue to shore up some disciplined things, some rebounding things, defensive things, effort things, little pieces here and there, this is a very dangerous team. So again, thanks to Justin. Great stuff from him. And the Hornets get two days of rest. Try to get healthy. Try to get Cody Zeller back. Maybe PJ back. Who knows? We, as soon as we know, we'll put it on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. Facebook.com forward slash Hive Talk Live. For all of your Hornets news and analysis, you'll want to go to thehive.com For David, I'm Doug, and producer Katie, let's swarm Charlotte. See you on Tuesday.